0: Hi there, welcome. My name is Jason Brand and this is the Human Nurture Podcast. This is season one and in this season we are looking at PACT in theory. PACT stands for a Psychobiological Approach to Couples Therapy and in each episode we look at an underlying element that makes up the PACT approach. And today we're going to be looking at psychoanalytic theory and within psychoanalytic theory we'll be looking at object relations, American object relations, and within American object relations we'll be looking at James Masterson's work around personality disorders and this is a big part of PACT because in PACT uh, it's built from the ground up as Stan Tadkin, the founder of PACT, says to be able to work with the most difficult couples and if you're going to work with the most difficult couples you're going to come across personality disorders when you learn PACT, it's in, by, in level two, you spend a whole day understanding personality disorders, and it's not an easy day. There's a lot to learn. And this is actually the genesis of this podcast, was that I set out to find out more information, kind of accessible information about James Masterson and his work. And it turns out there are a lot of good resources out there, but I had to fumble around quite a bit. And in my fumbling, I came across um, some articles written by a guy named Larray Dawes, who I got in contact with, and he um, and he was kind enough to um, let me interview him, and that is the the meat of this episode. I think you'll really enjoy LaRay because he um, he's both patient and he has a real enthusiasm for teaching. Uh, Masterson to um, people who aren't that familiar with it, so he, he's he's just he's great. He took a lot of time with me. I think it gets you closer in terms of really um, building an understanding. James Masterson and his work. The opening is an interview with Stan Tatkin, and a lot of that is taken up by a conversation between Stan and I about where where does where does attachment theory fit in with with um, James Masterson and his work around personality disorders and Stan you know really helps me to understand that idea and I think it's important to know how these two things fit together hope you enjoy the episode if you've got questions or comments don't hesitate to reach out next month we'll be looking at family therapy fun really fun interview with my uh, mentor Sherry Glukhoft-Wong so stay tuned for that but before that check out this episode and here's Stan Hi. Hi. Welcome. We are in <laughs> Berkeley together, me and Stan Tatkin. Yes, we um, are. Stan is doing the level two training here in Berkeley, and um, he is on lunch break. And we got, we got some time to talk about some of the fundamental elements. And first, we're going to start out with Masterson. Um, and I wanted to start with just the basics
1: of how did you, how did you, you find Masterson? where did yeah. you, you get to Masterson? Um, I, uh, I, I had known about uh, James Masterson when I was in college in my undergraduate, and uh, I was fascinated yet a little bit intimidated by, um, by his work. I, I, at the time, I went to a school that was humanistic existential, and so, you know, uh, there, there was kind of a uh, an aversion in the culture to psychoanalytic theory. So I think I kind of caught that cold a bit. Mm. Um, then had a, then had a, an instructor uh, who came out and was shocking. Uh, she said, I'm recovering borderline personality oh, wow. disorder. And of course, being a young student, I thought that meant, you know, uh, oh, it's like cancer, you know. Uh, you got something terrible, so you know, my God, and you 're my teacher. Um, do I need to wear some protective clothing or something and she was uh, t- speaking very frankly about it and she and she uh, played Masterson on tape for us huh. and uh, and started to teach us that before Masterson uh, the treatment of of personality disorders by many were uh, were considered to be untreatable, right you mm. just Keep them comfortable, I guess. I don't know, hmm. but it, it was considered uh, kind of a death sentence um, for people. And then came Masterson, Kernberg, Rinsley, uh, people who were showing that absolutely personality disorders are treatable. Mm-hmm. There are of course caveats to that, and that has to do with you know lower level, mid level, high level, lower level being people who are uh, have a, a long history of not being functional, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, low functioning. Uh, and these people have a harder time getting through life because they're either in hospital or in jail or doing something that delays their their ability to live life. So, But for the most part, treatable. And that fascinated me. But I was still kind of with a lot of people in my cohort that found, and again, influenced by the school culture, that found psychoanalytic theory to be too erudite You know, uh, and and too reductive in some way, and uh, it wasn't until later when I started working at the John Bradshaw Clinic, Mm. Bradshaw Unit, whatever Mm -hmm. it was, uh, I I, um, was able to work through uh, in the clinic through three hospitals closing, so we kept moving, (laughs) and uh, what was happening, we were supervised uh, by a wonderful clinician, Kip uh, Flock. Um, but we were pretty much, we were pretty much on our own a lot in dealing with this intense population, attracted to someone famous like John Bradshaw hmm. and expected to do things like inner child work and abreactive work with patakas and all sorts of things. Hmm. Some of it. I was um, I had some um, prejudices against which I I didn't say because I wanted the job I didn't want to <laughs> I wouldn't want to jeopardize I felt lucky to to have gotten the gig, but because you know uh, of my own young arrogance thinking oh that you know that that kind of stuff is bullshit you know pounding a bataka, uh, you know all of that I had judgments about it but it was an incredible training ground mm. incredible training ground to be you know, put in the trenches and dealing with uh, with intensive, uh, ab-reactive, psychodramatic mm. um, groups um, using, uh, going to original pain work, mm-hmm. basically, uh, to original objects. Doing that twice a day, two and a half hours plus education, plus, you know, all the other things we did. This is groups was, or individuals? Groups. Groups. Yeah, okay. groups. And uh-huh. they were there, you know, uh, for... A diagnosis of codependency, which of course doesn't exist, and at the time people could be there for you know up to two months, uh-huh. and uh, and so it was really cool. But I, in the beginning, I really enjoyed <laughs> being the positive object mm-hmm. um, in a in a co uh, group therapy situation, and I liked it. And I, th- <laughs> i just, I was so naive. I thought that would just stay that way, and uh, didn't. I I ended up. Uh, finding myself on the other side of that, <laughs> that, that does happen <laughs> it was I tell you i you know uh, people were were threatening to get me fired with John Bradshaw. Mm. you know i I felt I was coming every day to a lynching. Mm. I would leave in tears, I just could not get out of this negative um, transference issue and counter transference issue with the entire group uh-huh. and uh, that's when I thought, okay, I need grounding here, huh. I had always been attracted to Masterson, and um, Jeff Zeig's lovely evolution of psychotherapy, which I I still recommend Uh uh, people, especially students. That's the one that happens in Anaheim. Anaheim, every every five years, Uh uh, was every five years, sometimes in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And so I went there and I saw Masterson, and I was enamored. Everything Mm. he said, I just clicked with. I thought his clarity was so attractive, Uh and I needed it so badly to stay in the field. Because I was be, I was feeling beaten up, uh-huh. so that was my uh, entrance into that. So and, it must have been uh, a real
0: yeah. relief then to find oh, Masterson. Yes. I mean, and, and and it must have really set things set things in a like in an order for you in a way that, that things were not ordered. And you've talked about you've talked about how you find um, Masterson taught you discipline. He did. Yeah. What do
1: you What do you mean by that? Well, when you when you learn uh, any any uh, psychoanalytic approach. has uh, uh, has a certain nomenclature and a certain discipline to it. There are guardrails like technical neutrality, right? Technical neutrality Mm -hmm. is, uh, some people mistake it for blank slate, you know, you're just a blank face and that Mm -hmm. is not good. But technical neutrality basically means if you understand object relations, the object relations of the disorder of the self the therapist is tasked with staying out of the split part object relationships that are both good and bad, mm-hmm. and to st- play down the middle, that's what technical neutrality is, so as to protect the patient and yourself from uh, stepping into these, uh, these um, binary um, uh, relationships uh-huh. and then screwing up the treatment, right? So that's one. The uh-huh. other has to do with frame, therapeutic frame. Um, You stick to the frame, the time, the money, your position, all of that. So that kind of discipline on what interventions you're going to do and what you're never going to do, talking too much, doing too much, uh, it really taught me and others, I think, how to discipline ourselves so that we could work under any condition, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. any condition. And that was a relief to me, I found Um that it didn't matter my state of mind, it didn't matter the state of my relationships, didn't matter any, that I could still do this work if I, uh, if I stuck to the discipline, the theory, the approach, the... Uh, the frame, all of that, and that was also uh, a godsend.
0: Uh huh. And I think Lorraine does in the in the episode that that comes after this interview um, does a really nice job of kind of laying out the narcissistic, the, the borderline, and the schizoid in terms of um, kind of w- what you can expect when you're when when you um, when you're working with uh, those different personality disorders right. and kind of how to situate yourself. Um, Uh, The question I got, so I I don't think we need to get too much into that technical stuff because it's
1: there. Um, What do you want PAC therapists to know and learn about Masterson? What I took from Masterson, mostly that feeds into PAC, other than my love for object relations theory, Mm -hmm. which I find very useful in in dealing with more complicated cases, trauma, uh, disorganized, disorder of the self, and so on, um, is the attitude uh, of American object relations as opposed to British, the, the emphasis on ego structure, the emphasis on, on a reality ego that has to be there, has to be employed so that a real self can develop. Mm-hmm. Right? There is no real self without a scaffolding reality ego. And that is, we also know where in the brain, we uh, think we know where in, the, where in the brain that actually is. But that, that people who are who are developmentally delayed and are Mm -hmm. trying to deal with the vicissitudes of life are having to work with a burden others don't they have to navigate in a way that avoids the pain that they experience and others don't whenever they do something that either is an individuation stressor or a separation stressor in other words Uh, An opportunity or a pressure to grow up in a way that moves more into complexity. Mm -hmm. And people we know who have developmental delays, are insecure, trauma, these are all things that that stop development from moving forward because uh, the the child, the teenager, the adult is lacking the resources for that to happen, Mm -hmm. or another way to say it, the lacking the safety, the general safety. And so they're trapped in a way of behaving that insulates them from the constant battering of, of life's you know uh, slings and arrows and challenges, mm-hmm. that puts them face to face with a an, an area they have never grieved, and that is very early, wherever the the period the milestone where they where they would have metabolized a loss and moved forward, there's something in the environment, in the parental interaction that that stopped development at that point because the child was not able to move wasn't scaffolded supported emotionally Mm -hmm. to move through that milestone right and so the person's organized this way got it yeah so in working with someone like that rather than rather than trying to uh work inside out work you know through the the uh the psychological issues that uh, that prevent them from adapting properly to life the, uh, the object relations, American object relations, or the ego psychology way of working is that you work with the adaptation difficulties first. Mm-hmm. In other words, you cannot do anything therapeutic with a, a patient or a couple that's acting out, mm-hmm. that doesn't have a therapeutic alliance right, with you. Right. Because anything you do is just going to be emptied out, evacuated right afterwards, because they're letting go of everything because their organization their defenses are to feel better now at the cost of getting better uh-huh
0: uh-huh and
1: until that's addressed you can't do therapy
0: right and that's why i thought a lot about in this in this process about of learning all this about um you know, that you don't reward therapy with acting out is That's one of right. the things that you often talk about. Right. And then I guess... You don't if- reward acting out with doing therapy. That's <laughs> the other way around. Yeah. But either no, no, way... No, no, no. let's stick with what I got. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but the... Um, but the... And and so basically we're building a framework in which the couple can... can Where, we're, where acting out is not happening and the couple is dealing with each other right. um, in, in a more what way with a real way uh... in a way
1: that is truly uh differentiated uh, uh where the, the needs of of being differentiated individuated enough to be in a two-person psychological system mm-hmm. is uh constantly reinforced and expected by the therapy right that that uh, you have to work in a system that is truly mutual truly Um, uh, uh, collaborative and cooperative shared power Mm -hmm. uh, based on fairness, justice, sensitivity, that requires Mm self-activation. I'm activating myself to expect you to do the same thing that you expect me to do. Good for me, good for you. Nothing else will do. Mm -hmm. And that is what we are pointing people toward. Mm -hmm. And when they're not doing it, we're wondering with them why they're not doing it. Therein lies the developmental delays uh-huh. and or the deficits things that they actually can't do uh-huh. so by by enforcing the reality of Relationships can only exist over time if they are fair and just otherwise because of the human condition We're liable to a, a crude threat which becomes biological in which will end all relationships and make people feel unsafe right mm-hmm. so 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 people have to be uh, in that position, pointing in the same direction and seeing it the same way, otherwise it's too unfair. Mm-hmm. Disorders of the self already come from a position where life is unfair in some way, and others are to blame for it. They're in already oriented towards me, 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 and a kind of self-entitlement that comes from unmet infant needs mm-hmm. and overlaid onto an, an adult relationship that is fully conditional and expecting it to be unconditional. You know, I want you to, um, be in my reality, even though my reality is grossly unfair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So rather than deal intrapsychically to get them to understand this, instead of doing that first, we expect, Behavior that is commensurate with a two-person system, mm-hmm. and under that contain that container, that expectation comes the the stuff uh, that is the material to work with. Only now it's alive, and they're interested. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're not interested otherwise. Okay, and the
0: because because it's a it's I only get by by getting my own needs met. I'm not worried about the team or the system. That's or, right. Um, and, and what you
1: want, you won't get.
0: Right what you want you won't get well you you, you might get it but you, not without a lot of blowback right i mean if right. if i'm if i'm more if i only want mirroring from you if i'm more than if i'm more narcissistic right I might get that from you, but at a certain point, that breaks down with, with the pressures of life and the, and the vicissitudes of life.
1: Well, we might say, okay, so you want marrying, and you're your very hard on me in terms of marrying. That, that could be fine, but are you prepared to, uh, for my being difficult and expecting things from you? If you're okay with that, we have a quid pro quo, uh-huh. right? So in, in this work, we're not expecting, we're not saying your neediness is unreasonable, uh-huh. your need is, neediness is only unreasonable if if the other person can't be as needy Christ, as you foul or or right. says yeah yeah
0: says as, i mean and it, it, they could say they i mean and it wouldn't be our business if somebody said i don't mind having a needy <laughs> husband as, as long as it doesn't break down in terms
1: of you know the the, the relationship break, breaks down right. right we're only enforcing what everyone can agree with with, with it's heart it's impossible to really argue with um, you know, should relationships be fair? Yes. Should they be just? Yes. Uh-huh. Should, they, should you be sharing power? Yes. Should you be working collaboratively together and respect each other as each other's bosses? Yes. Uh-huh. Should you be making decisions together and not separately without the other person's approval, especially when it affects the relationship? Yes. Mm-hmm. Should you protect each other in public and private? Um, yes. I mean, all these questions, and then the person says yes, and then they go about not doing it. Mm-hmm. I see. So now we have a frame that we expect them to operate in that they already agree, makes sense, is good for both of them, and now the pressure's on to perform uh-huh. in that way. Therein lies the pressure cooker that will show what I can and cannot or won't do. Mm-hmm. Okay. the I think one thing that's confusing for
0: trainees is the overlap between... Um, Masterson's work and attachment theory right? and where do they how do they lay on top of each other where do they where can um, you know can you can you help it's so with interesting
1: that? it's such an interesting area
0: yeah and and Masterson did some I mean Masterson he changed eventually
1: so but he and he ended up embracing attachment theory he right? did but it took a long time when I was with uh, when I was with him um, you know he who he, he who shall not be named you know um, uh, was um Daniel Stern, right, because <laughs> Daniel Stern dared to take away Mahler's early f- uh, f- phases of, of development and uh, in, in the developing uh, uh, or the emergence of the, of the true self or the, uh, of the human being, right, human mind. Um, he, um, he discovered through frame analysis from real study that, uh, that he had the technology for that that stuff isn't true. Mm-hmm. That threatened uh, a lot of people, Masterson, because he based so much on Mahler's work mm. that you take, you take Mahler's work away, what do you got? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he resisted that instead of embracing it. He resisted people in the neuroscience area like Alan Shore. And I think mostly because when you're in a position and you're developing something and you're getting really clear and teaching it, there isn't the time um, or the energy to really take on new things mm-hmm. even though it's complementary so there's that and then there's the idea of threat you know what you're going to take on could threaten what you've been li- you know what you've been you know y- y- your your product what you your baby what you've been doing your mm-hmm. whole time that's commonly found in science right mm-hmm. so um, so it took him a long time to come around, and then he eventually did before he passed away. Okay. The truth is, is that attachment theory um, is actually, uh, you know, there even in early attachment theory. It is it is object relations. It's object relations light. Right. Uh, it, you know, object relations didn't come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It was there with Freud. It was there with uh, with Klein. Uh-huh. It's been there uh, all along with Fairbairn, all along, but it wasn't considered something uh, as a focused um, you know, a uh, focused psychoanalytic approach until a little later. And then, like I said, there are different branches of it. American object relations is more ego psychology, and British object relations is more self-psychology. Mm-hmm. They both work in similar ways, but they have uh, differences in, in, in uh, a central area that is hard to resolve. And uh, uh, one area is that you, you know, and I hope I'm, I'm saying this, uh, that it's true and accurate today still, Uh, One suggests you can reparent someone Mm -hmm. and move them up through and meet them where they are developmentally. Mm -hmm. And the other says, no, you can't. That ship sailed, all you can do is is get them in reality and see that it's not there, help them grieve the loss that's on the way towards growing up, right? Mm -hmm. So there's an argument there. Wait. the argument being can you
0: can you repair earn secure attachment or not is that the is that is that in the, therapy in therapy
1: can the therapist uh, be a surrogate parent in other words in cohet's word i'm going to for the next 10 20 years i'm going to operate it as a self-object for right. you because that is not yet developed okay Got and it. so i'm not going to confront you Uh huh. right i'm going to stay away from that And nurture this self that's been fragmented early because of trauma, injury, whatever. And I'm going to heal that. Whereas the other direction, the other way of working is, no, I can't heal that. You have to accept it as gone. Didn't happen. You were hurt. That wasn't good. But you have to grieve the loss instead of stomping your feet. And Uh yelling at everyone for not giving, not meeting that infant need. Got it. Uh Because nobody will unless you pay a lot of money. Uh Uh-huh. And that's the American
0: is the... the That's the American object Uh relations viewpoint is
1: without without an intact reality ego, you cannot have a therapeutic alliance. If you Mm -hmm. don't have a therapeutic alliance, you cannot agree on the task of therapy. Therefore, um, the work is harder and longer and more difficult. Um, Now, why do we apply this to PACT? Mm-hmm. because in couple therapy, we, have, we don't have the time to do a lot of intrapsychic work first, because by the time they even get started, they could break up. Um, th- we, need, we need to create some kind of vessel, organization, narrative that holds them together now, and that creates a vision, an idea of why they're, where they're going and why, um, uh, to set up agreements between them as adults, because they need to adapt now. Mm-hmm. With that enforcement, we're ensuring them to continue and not cause more trouble, while at the same time kind of putting them in a, um, uh, in, in a steamer, or hot, hot uh, kitchen, whatever it is, uh, you know, that's forcing them to leak out their developmental mm-hmm. issues. And the reason it's better that way is when it's up in the service of trying to be secure functioning, the person who's having a hard time is naturally going to be under stress mm-hmm. and is going to be more interested in what the therapist has to say and is going to be more interested and curious to learn why they can't, won't do it. Mm-hmm. So it's a different, It's a strategically, it's a different way of working.
0: Okay, I don't, I don't know if I understand the distinction. So okay. are you making a distinction between attachment theory and and Masterson's work, right? Or right. object relations. So, okay, yeah. I, I'm not sure I get the, the distinction, though. So, uh,
1: so, in, so, so yeah, I lost the question you asked. Sorry. it's okay. So, so in attachment, in, in terms of putting together as couples, we're, um, we're saying to them, you're not changing as people. Uh-huh. What's changing is how you do business, okay. how you interact. The problem isn't who you are, it is how you interact. Okay. And it may also be that you actually fundamentally disagree on big ticket items, which means you probably can't be together because honest people can disagree. Like I need to live in the country, you need to live in the city, Mm -hmm. both are unbearable for the other. That's a deal breaker, that's fair, but it's sad. Okay, so there's all these conditions that we're putting on couples Mm -hmm. while applying attachment theory. Uh, It has to do with if I am avoidant, I can be in the relationship with you, but I have to be aware mm-hmm. that I defend against my fear yes. of engulfment yeah. and that I do so in a way that isn't secure functioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good for me, but bad for you. And the partner should know too. And the partner should know too. I got
0: the manual on you. And yes. Exactly. Okay, great. And it, so, but how does, so, so you got that, that makes sense. And then where does, how do you fit Masterson over or how
1: does Masterson weave into that? Because in disorders of the self, there are, there, there are, um, uh, th- th- there's a resonance, uh, a similarity, um, a kinship to disorders of the self. The line that's crossed is uh, a real functional and maybe structural problem in the brain with being able to stay in reality mm-hmm. without bending it in order to avoid pain. Mm-hmm. And if it, that's so strong and, and resistant to treatment, then we start thinking disorder of the self. Mm-hmm. But, the, but a lot of the cause of it, a lot of what's driving it, the fear, the central issue, and the defenses that are around it are quite similar. Mm-hmm. Quite similar. They're mm-hmm. just more extreme mm-hmm. in the disorder of the self. So it is relevant because we're looking at a spectrum Uh Um, the wave in its, in its strong form, it looks and sounds remarkably like some borderline uh, uh, traits. Yes. And they are the difference being that they're, they're not as, um, they're, they're not so strongly held to that you can't do anything with that person Uh and getting them to, uh, to self correct and to rein it in themselves. When, when it becomes a personality disorder, the person actually can't do that. Uh-huh. They're not able to do that because they've enjoyed or actually paid for this by bending reality so often through life that they've compromised their sense of reality, uh-huh. right, in order to feel better right now. That makes them, um, that makes them sort of disabled in, in uh, fair relationships, Yet the rules still apply. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, borderline narcissist, schizoid. You want to be in this relationship? Yes. Good. Um, you want to feel better and get along together? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nine's a winner. Now let's. Now we're gonna do it, and this is what you guys are gonna have to do. Uh huh. And you would use the same. So if somebody if somebody does not necessarily have a personality disorder, but is more on the
0: uh, neurotic, second neurotic, second The, the um, you, would, you use the same intervention same strategy, intervention, pain, so. self-defense. Yeah. With the yes. narcissist, it's more mirroring. With, with, the, with the borderline, it's more self-activation, pushing right. towards a confrontation. Right. It's the same.
1: You're, you're in the same territory. One is just the personality disorder is more extreme. Right, because there's a cognitive problem. There are too many cognitive errors in the, in the personality disorder. Their appraisal system is way off because it's driven by trauma and fear, a reorganization of, of reality and perception based on fear and threat. So their view of what reality is, is too form-fitted to their fear, to their need to avoid pain. Mm-hmm and therefore they don't quite fit in the flow of everyday relationships mm-hmm. they're expecting other people to fit into their world which they won't that's cool that's what And we so, so they're, to so, it. they're struck, so they're uh-huh. they're kind of screwed in that way and they're angry and they're threatened constantly cuz i have to if if i'm borderline i need you either to be a rewarding person someone i feel loves me and cares about me and likes me and i like them and you're nice and warm and everything um uh, uh, or, if you're not careful, I'll see you as a punitive, withdrawing, mm-hmm. uh, angry object, and you can feel the binary nature of that in relationship with me, and you're being held hostage by that. Mm-hmm. But I am too, you know, mm-hmm. it's not fun for me either, except that I don't have the expansiveness, flexibility, complexity to see any other way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, th- So there's a problem there, a limitation, and because of my, the way I've organized myself, um, there are certain pl- uh, plasticity issues in the brain that create a real problem in terms of uh, communication between structures uh, um, and, uh, and also uh, the ability f- uh, for top-down regulation of, of limbic structures mm-hmm. to operate properly without being compromised. So mm-hmm. here's an example. The, the pleasure-seeking, pain-avoiding ego, which is too strong in disorders of the self, mm-hmm. is too strong, um, uh, the frontal areas, the ventral medial prefrontal area is co-opted by these limbic areas that are pain-avoiding or pleasure-seeking, and that's more like addiction, right? It's using the, the reward circuit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which means I have reason to want to continue to do this, um, but every time I do, every time I bend reality and say, yay, it's good, I get a little more crazy every time mm-hmm. I weaken the area that would ordinarily do the right thing that would think ahead mm-hmm. that, you know, if I do this, what will that mean for what happens next or down the line using the ego that they're using, which is pleasure seeking, uh, pain avoiding, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's the marshmallow test again, you know, I'm four years old, i just grab the marshmallow and eat it. There right. is no delay, uh-huh. right? Because there's too much at stake. I don't like the pain. I can't grieve. Therefore I do. That's what we're dealing with, and that's what we're still going to have to work with in session, except we're not doing it as we would in individual therapy. They have, to, they have to work it out with each other so that it's fair and just and right for each other. We have a better container to work in because now they want something. Mm-hmm. They want the relationship. If you want the relationship, you both have to play by the rules. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets an advantage because they're traumatized. Mm -hmm. You don't get a pass, you still have to play it by the way you think is right and fair. That gives us a lot of leverage Mm -hmm. as therapists, couple therapists. We can get people, not make them not borderline, but we can get them to to be uh, more adaptive and more in reality and be in better care more safe and secure mm-hmm. within the confines of what they both agree that uh-huh. it has to be. See? Uh-huh. So we have a built-in container. Yeah, and what's cool about it is that it actually can be, it can be, I don't know if
0: curative is the right word, but but if you have an object, if, if, if you're a deeply dependent system, which a couple is, yeah. and you have an object that knows you well enough, knows how to mirror you, and knows you when, hey, knock it off right now, and, right. and you can play by those rules, all of a sudden you're getting some of the Parenting, yes. re-parenting that right. you didn't get yes. in in that um, in your early experience. Yes,
1: but it's take a penny, give a penny. So you do that for me. What am I doing for you? Right, and so that's but it's got to be yeah. quid pro quo. Yeah, as we say, and maybe not same for same. So uh-huh. be uh, you, you know be pain in the asses. You're each other's pain in the ass, but you also have to pay to play. Uh, be uh, someone who really needs help uh, with the trauma, uh, but uh, but you're also doing something for them too. Right, This is an equal opportunity uh, situation to help each other both survive and thrive and heal, Mm -hmm. but it has to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, Too often people get, not just personality disorders, all people get into these relationships and feel entitled, Mm -hmm. without thinking about it, that this other person should be different than what my parents were, right? That that I'm owed this, Uh Um, I deserve this, and you should do it. And that... They're confusing a con, a not an unconditional system, which should be parent-child, uh-huh. with a conditional system, <laughs> which is adults. Right, and that that we
0: should actually we should wrap this up, and that sort that, of begins to is that to, clear
1: though? Is it name clear? W-
0: which part? I'll tell you. I don't know with any with any of it. <laughs> with, with any of it. I, I my 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 feeling about so f- about the interview is that um, it will go nicely with what Larray does said um i think that i i just i have a lot of questions about Masterson, and and that's and that's the i mean so this it's like i feel like i feel like it's sort of an iterative process of learning this where it's like you understand certain things within one time period and then you learn more about it and you get a little bit you get a little bit more and it sort of begin the pieces begin to fit i do think that there's still this kind of gap within uh, uh, some, about where attachment and masterson and or object relations object first, relations yeah. um and how they how they fit together that i think is confusing i think maybe one way to wrap maybe one thing that i've been thinking about that might sort of it, probably put us back into the kind of um we'll, we'll we'll be going again here in terms of talking but it's fine the um where does disorganized now fit within if we're looking at this from a masterson or an object relations yeah. Perspective yeah. would 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 disorganized be more um, like like schizoid? Would that be would it fall there? No, um, so where, does it, where does it fit?
1: Disorganized. So if if we're in the attachment realm, disorganized can be secure and insecure. Disorganized can overlay any any internal working model, right? Uh, because it it's more of a state than it is a, an organization structure. But now we have disorganized, so what does that mean? Somebody who is traumatized early and often without support, emotional support, support nearby in a timely fashion to regulate these states, mm-hmm. uh, that person is going to necessarily um, uh, defend and adapt according to the environment the organism perceives is the environment. And, uh, and so everything is, is, is organized around safety and perceived threat. And as the, ch- as the brain is developing, all of that changes. and there are absol- there are a- epigenetic issues, there are plasticity issues. Mm-hmm. You have a different brain. And because this person isn't, isn't developing according to known organized um, uh, systems that are insecure or secure, they're harder to predict, mm-hmm. and they're more complicated because they're operating under under a constant perception of danger. And so, where and where would that fit into Masterson's model? I mean, would that be? Or can you not? That's where. That's where I, It's
0: like it's not apples and oranges, right? I mean, you can't. You can't change the. They're not interchangeable I, in that I, way. I think
1: you know. It's kind of like when you you know, if you study one religion, all you know is that religion. Of course, our religion is better. But if you're really a scholar of religions, you start to understand that everyone's pretty much saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. And when you understand this area, you start to understand that everyone's really saying the same thing. No one's really disagreeing with any of it. It's just a different way, different emphasis. So attachment does have to do with injury. It does have to do with adaptation early. It does have to do with um, I, I have to get my sense of safety and security, and if it's not given to me, I make it up, and I adapt to create it even if it's not real. Mm -hmm. Right, fantasy bond. So, we're talking about internal working models when uh, dealing with attachment. I'm building a model of relationship and safety and security based on repeated interactions, right? Repeated interactions. And so, I'm anticipating what is required to have a secure base. Yes. And that's changing me. And changing me to the to the degree the system's insecure, my adaptations are costing me mm-hmm. something that a secure environment wouldn't cost me. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, in object relations, that insecurity, that 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 constant interaction that's going on, um, that's in the air, ambient trauma, so to speak, is. Uh, it is is making me, in order to feel safe, making me give up things, either my my autonomy, mm-hmm. my uh, my in, uh, separate, ability to separate, or mm-hmm. my uh, my ability to be to individuate and be a real self. Uh-huh. That's what's happening, and so uh, because we we need that security from our parent, we will do whatever's necessary, even if it costs us. And in the injury situation, in uh, in personality disorders, we think. It happens. These disorders are frozen at particular milestones. Oh, right.
0: Right. And that's that's Mahler's. That was right. Mahler's. and And
1: it, it seems to fit. Uh-huh. It's helpful. Uh-huh. Right. And so, um, and so then we can we can understand as clinicians what the person is, what's driving them, what do they fear most, what do they have to defend against, and how uh-huh. they're likely to defend. Uh uh-huh. So all of it fits together, except that. Attachment theory starts to break down when you get into more complexity with with disorders of the self and trauma. You need something more fine-tuned, more granular, that can understand in a more deep way how, how personalities will get structured, and that's where... Uh, atta- mm. That's where object relations comes in. Mm-hmm. It's how is an, how is a personality organized mm-hmm. um, by uh, by dint of the environmental stress, and then we're also ignoring the uh, the, the genetic aspect, mm-hmm. the constitutional aspect that's definitely influencing. You understand so far? So yeah. it's, it's basically they're all talking about the same thing: adaptation, um, and then under. Under not ideal situations for the human primate, what adaptations do we go through where we we get something, and but we're ripped off here, mm-hmm. and then we're angry and we're upset, and now I get into a relationship with you, I start to depend on you, and I go, wait a second, I remember what happens when that happens, I have to play this role, I have to do this, you're going to do this to me, uh-huh. mm, I think not.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And what's nice about that I mean so
0: so you, so you just uh, my understanding of what you just did is you you sort of took if we look at this like you took one religion if we're talking about I like right. that metaphor one religion and then you said this is the way that this religion looks at the world you take the other religion this is the way that this one looks at it yeah. and then you and and you sort of highlighted that that object relations um, is is a little bit more fine-tuned when it comes to personality disorders yes and then in the end you brought it back to secure functioning which is you know that if you have a secure functioning frame um, you can see where where these attachment adaptations begin to break down
1: for people absolutely and so uh, taking the analogy what you know what you'd ask well what is the purpose of religion purpose of religion is to to help people contain, give them a narrative and understanding of why we suffer, what is happiness, what it, what is the meaning of life, why are we here, uh, all the existential concerns, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, you know, uh, what will soothe us, what will calm us down with, with the anxieties of just being alive, right? And, and our theories are pretty much that way, too. We're, we're thinking of... Um, what is human suffering? Why does it happen? What's the cause of it? How do we how do we solve it? What are we going to do with people who are suffering? Mm-hmm. And so these are containers, um, uh, developmental containers that give us uh, an up and down view trajectory that helps us understand why people are presenting this way. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. I'm on fire. Well, everyone's on fire, but everyone—not everyone's on fire for the same reason. <laughs> Some <laughs> set themselves on fire, you know. Uh-huh. Right, so it's our job to to uh, understand w- what is this particular thing and uh-huh. why, and what's the meaning of it, and does it fit with with what we know about uh, the causation, etiology? Does uh-huh. it fit? Can we make sense of it as as clinicians? Because only then can we know how to guide them. Yeah, if we don't know what it is, we don't know how to help.
0: Yep. Okay. Woo Nice work. Um, Okay, this is going to conclude (laughs) the uh, object relations slash masters and psychoanalytic portion of this interview. Thank you so much, Dan. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, let's get started. Um, Welcome, Leray Dawes, uh, to the PACT Special Topics Podcast. My name is Jason Brand. I am in Berkeley, California, and we're talking to Leray Dawes clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst, psychotherapist currently in private practice in British Columbia, Canada. And I just learned that he's in Comox. Comox?
2: Comox, yes.
0: Comox, thank you. Uh, He is a founding member of the South African African and British Columbia Mastersons Institutes, as well as faculty member of the International Masterson Institute in New York, where he completed a postgraduate training program in the disorders of the self. He has published articles on dreaming, psychosomatic disorders, Burning mouth syndrome and eating disorders, and the disorders of the self in journals such as the International Journal of Psychotherapy, Issues in Psychoanalytic Psychology, South African Rorschach Journal, and Clinical Counseling and Contemporary Psycho- Psychotherapy. That's a bunch of different journals, not all one journal. It's just it you was know, <laughs> just the way I read it. He has supervised and taught in South Africa, Canada, and the United States, Austria, and Turkey, and currently serves as assistant editor for the Global Journal of Health Sciences. And he also edited a, a great book that I'm just getting into on the origins of the self, the collective papers of Henry Elkin. Um, and the three articles that he wrote in contemporary psychotherapy, I'll include in the show notes. And they were really the entrance way into t- me reaching out to, uh, to Luray because I just found them to be uh, w- a wonderful introduction to Masterson's work and um, a really nice compliment to the pack training so welcome dr. Dawes are you okay if I call you Lorrae for the interview All
2: right, please thank you okay
0: wonderful wonderful um, so welcome and um, anything to add on just your background that that you're that I, I might have missed out on there uh,
2: no um, I trained originally I think it was around clinical psychology and hopefully that comes through um, uh, Uh, The interview is how I got to Dr. Masterson and the Institute um, and wonderful opportunity to study with Dr. Masterson personally and be supervised by him, but also his senior students like Dr. Judith Pearson and Dr. Candice Orcutt, all themselves prolific writers and clinicians. Mm. Uh, I'll I'll add to uh, their work as well to trauma and other areas.
0: Great. And that's one thing that I, you know, as I'm looking more into masters and one thing that I'm realizing is that he was also incredibly um, diligent in his research. It was not just his clinical work, but there was also a research component to this, which was very rigorous.
2: Yes. um, I'm glad you picked that up. Um, There's a lot being done on the so-called disorders of the self or personality disorders uh, from Linehan to Otto Kernberg, do a lot of research in England, Fonagy, a wonderful work between transference Focus, DBT, and mentalization. Uh, I can say that Dr. Masterson actually started doing research on disorders of self as early as 1960, um, when he worked with um, adolescent clients that um, they said, they were problematic adolescents, uh, with so-called, and I put these in brackets, acting out behavior. Um, and the opinion at that stage, as he was um, training to be a psychiatrist, um, was that they grow out of it, which to him intuitively, he had a very good gut uh, for processes. that didn't make sense to him. So he started doing research and he couldn't find any literature to support his opinion. or oh, the opinion that they grow out of it, sorry. So when... He created um, units to help these adolescents, and his first two books were about, literally, his research projects that was very thorough with psychometry, um, social workers, it was a team approach. The fascinating thing that he found was that when they contained these adolescent um, uh, children, that all of them, all of them developed a depression. Mm -hmm. And that was his first link to maybe their characterological difficulties or the character neurosis or the old descriptions is it these might be active defenses against a very deep lying depression, which he later termed the abandonment depression. That's at the core of the so-called borderline narcissistic and schizoid disorders of self. Um, And already it uh, comes from Freud's thinking that those that cannot remember repeat. So he took that line of thinking and that's how he started to become aware that the so-called uh, personality disorders might actually be desperate struggles against very, very deep losses and abandonment effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fascinating. And uh, that's how I got to him doing pain research and working with those kind of patients that the longer they were in therapy, the more they started talking about losses and deep depressions mm-hmm. and his work immediately spoke to me. And that's how I got to him and to the Institute.
0: And, and to clarify, so it's, it's, uh, abandonment depression, but it's abandonment depression at an early age.
2: At a very early age. Yes. And, the in the early developmental ages.
0: Yes. And mm-hmm. so, and, and, and so this really was a developmental model that starts with uh, the idea of a self that's that is that, uh, at a, from from the uh, I don't know if it's right to say infant parent or um, the the child at the age of separation and individuation. Is that correct?
1: That
2: is correct. Um, <clears throat> in the original a writing of Dr. Masterson, he referred to his model as a developmental and self model. Okay. In 1975, doing research with the great Donald Rinsley that was very influenced and influencing in terms of object relations, he said developmental self and object relations model. So you're correct. Um, It's a developmental self and object relation uh, model to think through. What's happening to the internal lives of people that have had um, pre um conflict, and the model that he used for that uh, was the work of Margaret Mahler, um, that he closely read. It's again uh, a model, although Donald Stern and many others disagree with some of the basic uh, tenets. It's a worthwhile model to read. How she thought of um, mom and child uh, bonding together how the infant could possibly start to develop its own psychology, because she called it the psychological birth of the human infant. How does the the infant come to a psychological birth in relationship to the mom? Um, And Masterson used her theory, her descriptive models, which was an empirical model that I had research in New York, where they literally that longitudinal observational research between moms and children for years, observing them, the interaction between them, and that's how she built her model um, of self and other, which is a fascinating model to read.
0: And just to put this chronologically, when did Margaret Mahler, when, when were those studies happening?
2: Um, it started um, in, in the early 1950s. 1950s. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. And 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 how young did she start uh recording and watching and observing uh infants and mother infant mother dyads? At what age were the were the infants at when the when the research began?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not completely sure I'm aware of the research that they had at the clinic. and um, her original research was on infantal infantile psychosis. Mm. I think modern, um, what I refer to as baby watchers, um, (laughs) try to um, observe um, moms even before they give birth. Mm -hmm. And when they give birth, spend time with them. Uh, part of the um, child observational studies uh, that they do at Tavistock, phenomenal research. Um, I think um, as herself a psychiatrist and a psychoanalyst, um, I think they try to, um, as early as possible um, start to um, observe how the mom and the child relate to each other. It's very difficult to know exactly what happens pre-verbally mm-hmm. and the first day of life. The child doesn't have language. They have signaling systems. So it's highly speculative what we think is happening in their mind in terms of an autistic phase, a symbiotic phase, and then the separation-individuation phase. Vets a bit easier to start observing the signaling of the child as locomotion becomes more complicated and upright movement and they're more complex and signaling and starting to use words.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but if I come back to your question, I I think as a psychiatrist, she probably saw um, and observed kids in the first year of life uh, between mom, um, mom and child. Okay.
0: Uh, okay. And, 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 uh, just so people have a sense, what is the age uh, that is considered separation individuation?
2: Um, if I, I take uh, most of most of the research um, and especially Marlin's, um I'll just a very good book uh, to have is his two thousand Mastersen's um, book on. It's called The Personality Disorders Two Thousand by Zacks. Ta- oh, great! It's a wonderful book where he summarizes the 50 years of research and where it is. But the autistic stage is usually nought to two months. Uh, symbiotic stage, two to four months. Separation individuation, which has sub-stages, is usually five to 30 months of age. Um, in the separation individuation, uh, following Mahler, uh, the first sub-phase, which he would call the differentiation, and development of the body image is three to eight months. The second subphase is practicing, which is ten to fifteen months. It's literally when children start to move away from mom's body through locomotion. The third subphase is reproachment, which he linked with the borderline dilemma. And then you have the reproachment crisis, which is usually around eighteen months. Um, and then the fourth subphase. Is where he called it the consolidation of individuation and the beginning of object constancy which is 22 to 30 months
0: got it okay and and the borderline is is in the rapprochement subphase. where what about narcissism where does where's the idea that that where does narcissism um, begin within the sub-phases mm-hmm.
2: um, as far as we can and although I'm going to talk maybe with a bit more certainty than is actually sure. obvious in our research. Um, I think we have to be robust and tentative. But theoretically, um, if we look, and we'll talk about it later, the split units, you can see with the borderline, there seems to be uh, a, a differentiation between two split self and object units, and the self and the object is differentiated where narcissism, there's still fusion between the self and the other, meaning you know, the other is very important for self-regulation and is seen as part of you. And there's usually signs of omnipotence and deflation. And it seems out of our research, or and Marla as well, that that kind of patterning where the mom is treated like part of you, omnipotently controlled, where there's a severe drop in euphoria, um, and imperviousness to frustration seems to be more part of the practicing sub-phase. So it's actually the subphase before reproachment or reproachment. Now, this leads to technically some difficulty. For example, many do believe that uh, narcissistic dynamics or internal pain or conflict is at a higher level uh, Than the borderline dilemma. And Marx isn't talked about dilemmas, the narcissistic dilemma, and the borderline dilemma, and schizoid dilemmas, uh, because they can function very well. But it seems um, as long as there's fusion uh, or ideal states, the ego functions very well. If that gets lost, like a small child that suddenly becomes aware they can't control mom uh, or mom separate the anxiety is too much, then you start to see see the deflation or what we call the aggressive units. So for us, I know it sounds a bit paradoxical, Mm -hmm. that the the borderline is on a higher level of development, although their behavior doesn't look like it. Uh They have more uh, unstable relationships, they struggle to keep work, etc. But Marcison said this is the difficult between looking at behavior Versus what we think is might might be happening intrapsychically to someone, which is our central aim is to look internally.
0: I see. I think. see. And and Matt and Masterson at the time that Masterson was working, mm-hmm. there was a lot of controversy around this very idea. Is that correct about when these when the borderline develops and when the narcissist develops? Was there and 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 so I think one thing that gets people a little bit lost when they try to get into masterson is that there's a lot it it feels like there's there are things that were written at a time and it's hard to parse out it it's hard to parse out the uh the internal kind of workings of psychoanalysis at the time with what should we know about the narcissist and the borderline
2: right.
0: um, so for our purposes today um can we can you just go just in terms of 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 what would Masterson would say that the that narcissism starts younger mm-hmm. in the child's development and That it has a lot to do with the with the fact that Mom and child or caregiver we will just say mom for short here mm-hmm. mom and and mom and child are still really connected to each other at that point they haven't gotten to the rapprochement phase where there's more separation between the two
2: that's a good way to put it
0: so that makes that makes sense absolutely Absolutely. okay great and so let's um so let's table that for just a minute because i think we'll get into narcissism and borderline but but um i just One thing I really liked in your writing that I've read so far is the way that you talk about the authentic self versus the adaptational self. And I think this is important for setting this up. So can you talk a little bit about those ideas?
2: I'll I'll quickly just move back to Masterson. Um, I have changed a bit of the the work to suit my temperament. So I'm going to speak classical Masterson and then I'll say a bit why I changed it. I I think uh, Masterson... Uh, called or try to find the language between the true self, what he referred to as the true self, um, which is not exactly the same as Winnicott. And I won't go too deeply into that, but it's worth reading. As you said, it it gets quite a lot of the the top analysts are intellectual as well. So we need a lot of time to tease apart Kohat, Kernberg, Masterson, but clinically, um, and then the so-called false self. Now, uh, basically, uh, for Masterson, uh, the true or healthy self, if I can call it that. And I, and I hope uh, you and your, um, the candidates know that it's not necessarily a word I will use in front of people, um, healthy, because it's all relative, but just theoretically for us, is that the healthy self has two functions. One, it provides an emotional vehicle for self-expression that feels true to the person, this is me. Uh, And to me that comes close to authentic, feeling this is me. So Sullivan would probably say the good me. Um, And it operates to maintain self-esteem through the mastery of reality, meaning that we have tasks and expectations, and I'll come back to the capacities of the self that we use in the background when we listen to people. The so-called false self, which I refer to as adaptational self, I got that from James Hillman, the Jungian. Um, okay. Um, there's a sharp distinction for Dr. Masterson. The false self is where the, the sense of self is not based so much in reality, but in fantasy. And I'll get back to that. Um, and the self is maintained, not, and the self-esteem is not maintained in mastering reality, but all their defenses is to ward off emotional pain. So when one reads Master's and one becomes aware that the, the words sound moralistic, but that's not what he was trying to do. One has to do, I feel free to express myself, um, some input from fantasy and my unconscious and reality, and I can negotiate it. So I have, and this is the capacities of self. First, the, the, the real, um, self or the true self or the healthy self and this is important, has spontaneity and aliveness of affect there's healthy self-entitlement meaning I'm allowed to ask certain things which we know is very difficult for disorders of self they usually adapt to other people's needs where I take responsibility for my, my own self-activation my own assertion and supporting myself I acknowledge I did it and this is important to me, I can soothe painful affects, I have a continuity of self, Um, I have commitment, I have creativity, intimacy, and a sense of autonomy. Now, they sound very complicated, but it just means little things like a client in in a borderline dilemma that lives between rewarding and withdrawing units might start to activate herself, and she says something like, I had a good week at work. I actually felt I did something creative. So we already yeah, because we write down verbatim how people, how we track them or their thinking or their dilemma. And then she says, and it felt good. And I went home and suddenly my husband said, you're spending too much time at work. Um, you're not giving me um, X, Y, and Z. And I started to feel guilty and I thought he's got a good point. You know, I'm being selfish. Um, and then suddenly the person says, oh, I decided to leave certain things X, Y, and Z. So for us, if we listen, we would say, yeah, you can see the person was starting to self-activate. It leads to changes in the environment and in her relationships that makes her feeling guilty. And guilt is an abandonment effect. So because of her own development, her approachment conflict, She's not allowed to sustain it. She starts to feel guilty. So she gives it up. So that's where marxism got to these triads, which are important with borderline, self-activation leads to anxiety, leads to defense. And maybe the husband just said something, and that's why you pick up in couple therapy, which is fascinating. Maybe the husband really just said, oh, you were late this week, but she heard, because this is what he means in fantasy, she heard, why aren't you at home? more strict, which is part of representations that goes back to mom, where, um, for example, this specific person I'm talking about, she got a memory when I said to her, are you aware when you support yourself, you become aware that it's not good for someone else, and you give up your needs for the other person's needs. That will be a confrontation, Mm -hmm. my assistant's words. And we worked a bit with it. And then a memory came back for her. She says, oh, she can remember. She don't, she's not sure why she's thinking this. But when she was younger, she wanted to go out and play with her friends. And then her mom would make comments, um, please go out and play with your friends. You know, it's not like I'm important. Mm-hmm. So she got a message that separation is not good for the mom. So Masterson would say in a very complicated object relations way is as she was activating herself, It activated the withdrawing unit in her that has a very specific self and other, meaning if I start to do this, I abandon my mom, and she projected that on the husband. And by doing that, she went back into a rewarding unit, meaning if I keep the relationship okay, um, I don't do certain things, things will be okay. I'm the good child or the good wife or whatever it is. And this is just a, a small example of the complexity uh, that sounds simple. It takes a lot of work to get to that. Um, of course, if it's someone has a narcissistic dilemma or schizoid, we would use different strategies to talk about the same thing. meaning if this person
0: wait can was- I slow you can I slow you down a little bit little Lore- um, the so when you say it takes a lot of work to get there, do you mean it takes a lot of work to get there with? her in therapy, that, that, that she's, she's already pretty far along mm-hmm. in her process in therapy. Yes, yes. And what
2: tells you that? Uh, it's the, the way she could take in my uh, intervention, which was at that moment a, a form of confrontation. Um, we, she immediately started to access memory which was fascinating. So you could see that her unconscious working uh, was quite accessible to the therapeutic work. Um, So although uh, we have what we call the acting out phase, and then the working through phase and the resolution phases, and not everybody can work through all of it. Uh, The reason at times you can only see a client once a week. Um, or someone has a lot of environmental stresses that make things complicated. Um, Masterson, when they did their work, they would prefer to see their clients two to three times a week, uh, which we know these days is more and more complicated uh, for people. Um, But that would be ways that um, we would see readiness to take in the intervention, and use the intervention for further clarification. And the patterns, uh, which sounds a bit complicated, but the more you listen to clients, you see how they work, for example. She would say to me something like, I'll just follow this up. She started taking in the interventions, I remember this, and, and it's not like things are suddenly better. Mm-hmm. Two minutes later in the session, she started saying, but shouldn't a wife be there for a husband? So she went back into what we call defense. Uh-huh. Uh, so she went back into the rewarding unit. Then you have to do work again. Like, could you tell me more about that thought? Um, how, do you, how do you see your relationship with your husband or your role? So then clarification starts again. Uh-huh. And, um, clarification helps until you can do an intervention again. So it's a psychical process that takes a lot of time because, again, it's developmental. It takes time. And what Masterson also taught us, we must remember that the abandonment affects, the things that they are protecting themselves again, is really painful for them. Meaning, feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, panic, void, um, suicidal, despair, and homicidal rage. They have very strong affects that are, are part of the abandonment, uh, depression, that we have to develop a capacity to manage these feelings in ourselves so it's not a magical model it's a developmental model that takes time Mm
0: -hmm. and so uh, one way that we talk about it in pact with couples is that is that it's i mean i almost think of it as like a phoenix that rises back up from the ashes it's like you, you you so there's the pain self-defense Try try, uh, oh, So that's that's narcissism. So I don't want to get lost here into that But but this sounds similar to me in that you can expect as the Therapist who is bringing this to the surface that as you bring it to the surface that Abandonment depression will be stirred up by your interventions And in a sense you have to leave room for the abandonment depression to be there of course depending on where the person or the couple are in therapy and then with the borderline you would again i mean this sounds like this person's pretty far along you would confront in a way that allows them to access memories that call on more of themselves, the more of the the real self or the uh, what we're calling the real self um for for our purposes today and then they 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 feel a little bit of that and then it gets a little scary because that is sort of a lonely position for somebody who is in this, who, who is in this position. Um, and then they go back into the abandonment depression and you keep, and that's the, that's a kind of working through process.
2: It yeah, happens. It's a process. Right. Right. Does that and, sound right? That sounds very good. Very good. Okay. I'm, I'm very relieved to hear, given our, our current models that are based on a lot of necessity and where we are as a culture, Um, that has to do with getting people into good states and happiness as quick as possible. Now, I'm not against that. I I think there's a place for it. Um, But if people experience disorders of self, um, that uh, that in itself can lead to its own complexity. Meaning, um, remember, many uh, of those that have these dilemmas learn very quickly how to adapt to us And what we expect of them. Mm -hmm. So, as you said, it's how they work with themselves that's quite important. And that's where we talk about therapeutic neutrality. Neutrality is not coldness, but uh, an ability to help a person, as Fonagy would say, mentalize, to move into themselves. And you hear clients saying things like, I'm not sure why I'm doing it, but I felt compelled to do it. It's like a gravitational pull. But then, already for us, that's good science. They're starting to think, but this is not working or they start to track themselves. Like, "Ah, I see where I'm going. I want to close off now. But that's already quite advanced. Um, I I think couple therapy has a greater complexity. You know, if you have two uh, people with different uh, dilemmas uh, coming together um, and having to work it out. So I think couple therapy see in vivo a beautiful interaction and co-regulation and where it goes wrong. And I must say, just as a ethical side note, at times there are certain areas, certain vulnerabilities and fragilities that I think intuition will tell us that the person might not be able to do it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have to maybe say, not now, or you need a different context uh, to work, because it could be frightening for people. Um, and something that you mentioned that's also important is For many disorders of self, progress is traumatic because it means you have to differentiate from an internal world that could have been very limiting, but sustaining. And now you have to find new ways. It's frightening. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also a Kleinian um, that writes beautifully. Robert Mm Vaska wrote a book, um, uh, "The Trauma of Change," when people experience progress as traumatic that's when the triads are important for us. For the borderline, self-activation or individuation leads to anxiety, leads to defense. For narcissism, lack of fusion and injuries to self-esteem leads to anxiety, leads to defense. Or for the schizoid, contact leads to anxiety, leads to defense. So those languages, we try to, the languages of being, we try to listen very closely, moment-to-moment moment with a client
0: okay. mm-hmm. um, Before we get too far one thing that I think really intimidates people um, especially those who um, have less psychodynamic psychoanalytic training um, when When looking at this is just the idea of object relations What does that mean and I think especially because you know there? I think there's been such an assault on psychoanalysis uh, over over the years which i think is in large parts uh, not fair uh, but i but the but just can you help us how do you think about object relations and where does it where where did it fit into masterson's work
2: oh okay that's a very good question well object relations um can be traced back to freud although he didn't necessarily uh, build it out like we have today uh, uh, so just Uh, a bit simplistically maybe, is that um, we do believe similar to Bowlby. um, And I think it it was part of where psychoanalysis was going in terms of ego psychology and other developments is that through the multitude of micro to macro moments between mother and child, a child (laughs) builds up a model of mind of that at least has three basic components, a self or an I, or self-representation as we refer to it. And again, in Masterson's book in 2000, and the one for therapists in 2004, he does try to really simplify what we mean with self, self self-image, self-representation. But my, literally like an album of the me's that became an I throughout time and development, how I see myself Um, as a very specific person um, through a multitude of interactions with a meaningful other. So self and other. And if you ask most people, think of mom. There's a picture in their mind. It's a representation. And that picture is like, if you look at that picture closely, it's made up of million little pictures of interactions that makes that picture of mom's face, as an example, or mom's being, with a predominant affect, like most people would say, you know, when I'm with, and again, I'm being very simplistic here. When I'm with my mom, I love being with my mom. I feel quite at ease and calm. So those are the predominant affect that goes with the self and the other. So we always look at self, other, and affect. Okay. So those are the internal models that we construct through a lifetime of being this particular person with that particular mother, with that particular father that later is added through culture and our peers, but they internal working models. Now, what naturally happens, which is again fascinating, is that when people in therapy work in a neutral model, I think the one thing I learned from my if we just keep the frame, People naturally bring this up to us. Like the example I gave, I didn't say anything about the person's mom or dad. We wait for the the ego and self to activate, to bring us what they're busy with. They spontaneously go to memories between themselves and a meaningful other. Um, It could be mom, it could be husband. And even if it's husband at the moment, it's still a relationship to another object is a bit. I think that's the problem with old language. It was very medical and it, it didn't always have a artistic soul, mm-hmm. but I think it means my relationship to a meaningful other and myself to a meaningful other builds a certain affect basis. Uh, there are predominant feelings. Yeah. Between myself and another person in that I have, and you'll see those, pictures of Masterson that is defense mechanisms or ego offenses. Um, I'll, I'll just use an example. Let's say this person grew up in a predominantly reproachment challenging household. So the mom didn't have a lot of relationships with peers, she had her own separation anxiety, and she kept the child close, theoretically. So even dad couldn't intervene in that unit, he was away working a lot. And again, I'm making it seem very easy. Um, our clinical work is much more complicated, but theoretically. Now, this person learns that this is the way you get the sense of safety. In that micro moments, as the example, this person learned that if I want to do X, Y, Z, I'm banned. I shouldn't be doing that. So then, um, little things happen. Later, the person wants to go for a sleep, i And they go, oh, I would love to go for a sleepover, but then mom's alone. They will still go to mom and say, mom, I would like a sleepover. No, it's fine. You can go. But the intonation says, I don't like it. And the child can still try it. But then the mom gets depressed or gets sick or phones the child every five minutes. Are you okay? Are you sure? Meaning becomes a preoccupied attachment. So it's many of those interactions that leads to, and I think that's where the DSN comes in, these are perva- when things become pervasive and persistent and most situations are dealt in that way, then it's usually problematic, meaning the internal models have become rigidified. Mm-hmm. Most things are seen like that, meaning the, the wife starts to treat her husband in the same way, meaning uh, if the husband just gives a, a, a look in couple therapy he, he might be confused. She interprets, that's like mom's look. He doesn't like it, so I'm going to stop it. Mm-hmm. The therapist can say, you know, you became very quiet. You were talking about a feeling. And you became quiet. And she said, yes, because I can see John doesn't like it. And we asked John, uh, is that how? He says, no, I was just thinking, I never knew this. So you can see she had a certain way of thinking about the look that links to a certain way of being with her, that's the object that makes the self, and her ego functions, meaning, her ego function there was, for example, um, a suppression of affect, and changing the subject, meaning maybe going into a bit of the not, whatever we would like to call it. Those were her desperate attempts to maybe keep the relationship between her and her husband good, but you can see it's based on assumptions that this is what he thinks. If he thinks like that, I'm not being a good wife as an example. So I have to change the relationship and this is the way I can do it. So that's where we look at self object and the predominant affect. But again, I made it seem easy. It can happen. It, these are microseconds between people mm-hmm. suddenly suddenly, It happens between us and patients. We call that counter transference. Uh, The patient struggles. I'm starting to feel guilty. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm not being a good therapist, but I might be identifying with the withdrawing mom. So I become more active in therapy and talk too much. So, and the client's activation is taken away. So it can even happen quickly between us. And then we repeat the pattern. Mm -hmm. So, Self object and affect is how we track predominant patterns that lead to us protecting ourselves to pain, but then unfortunately, these patterns remain stuck. The husband cannot be experienced otherwise in that area.
0: Right, and and the idea being, one thing I want, I I just want to return to, which I think this is a good time the The neutrality of therapy allows us to label things as basically the person is either acting out and and this is again well let, let me just say this and then and then we can clean it up the person is acting out um, or the person is engaged in a kind of um, uh, a self exploration that feels like it is um that that it is moving towards develop, uh, mm-hmm. developing more of, of a true self.
2: Right. Right. That's a good way to put it. Um, and I, a, a given our contemporary, as you said, critique to psychoanalysis, because um, I, I know acting out has, has such negative connotations. What I liked about Masterson is uh, we, I would say, I'm not saying all Mastersonians. I would say, if I listen to the client at the moment, is he activating and working with the true self, theoretically, or is he acting within a dilemma, either going into a rewarding or withdrawing unit? So he is caught up in the current of a split unit. Uh, it's, it's not consciously chosen, it's not that a person is trying to be difficult, uh, or because I think sometimes that's what the critique a lot of the analysts got is like, it's a very, sounds like a very critical, um, critiquing, judgmental model. Um, And sometimes it reads like that, uh, fortunately being supervised by Masterson, he was, neutrality to him was also a sense of respect and dignity for the person's capacity to make their own decisions. But how difficult it is for them, because they live within units. Because they have to protect themselves from excessive mental pain. So, again, how to get a person to become aware of this, touch upon it. It is true. I think your language is accurate. They will act it out. They get angry at the therapist, they get angry at people that don't want to do certain things for them. Again, it's not being naughty or on purpose. They are really fighting off a deep, deep. depression of severe proportion. Um, And Masterson, when he supervised, he was always um, kind, he would wait, um, he would track, and and then it it was like he was trying to create through intervention. Because I think confrontation is also completely misunderstood with Masterson. Uh, If one reads his work uh, closely, it's more that he made people aware You know, when you say this, could you notice this? But that's a form of confrontation with uh, the ego um, and defenses. But it it wasn't disrespectful or like, you know, a kind of, well, um, give an example. Some of the mistakes I made, um, someone would say, and this is very important in the beginning of therapy, we, we spend quite a bit of time to ask the person what would they like to achieve in therapy? because that's, that's actually a demand to self-activation. What would they like to do? Not what other people say or what we think.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that is used, and I'm gonna use it very simplistically and very unfairly. Um, say for example, a client that gets caught into a uh, withdrawn um, or withdrawing and rewarding dilemma, the borderline dilemma says, you know, I want to be able to put down more boundaries. Okay, and and think about it a, a bit more, but the client continuously comes late for therapy, which is already a boundary a moment to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, how I understood confrontation is um, many times we would say something like, you know, um, um, immediately saying, well, you know, you have to kind of keep to the parameters of psychotherapy, uh, you can't do what you want to do if you come late. I think there's truth in that, but I don't really think that's really a way that someone can listen to you and become interested or curious uh, while they're doing it. So, And that example, Marcelson gave us a beautiful, he had a very rhythmic way to interpret. He would say, it seems to me that um, it was important for you to think about these areas. you know, I'm seeing you two hours a week, and it seems out of the, the, the two possible hours, you already uh, take away half an hour from yourself to explore this between us. So he's literally bringing to their attention that there's something happening here. Um, but he does it. But that's what he meant with confrontation. And it, for some, it is already a lot, just to um, someone make them attentive. So. So it's a way of noticing how how we addressing our pain and how we try to get out of our pain
0: mm.
2: uh, and, constantly
0: and this is and, and what you just uh, very nicely uh described is pain self defense for the that was that was a narci- that was for a more narcissistically based person and was that uh, an example of pain self defense
2: that that was a um it's good that you asked me this. This was a, an example of a more borderline confrontation. Okay. Think, uh, and Say, for example, this person, um, um, like all of us, the struggle with uh, fusion and it could be, like, in the session, I became aware the person becoming quiet and I think there's possibly closet narcissistic tendencies. Then, um, I can see, when I did this, the person, this is all, the, the way we know this is we taste, and the person says, well, you know, um, I could have made that interpretation. Um, that's not X, Y, or Z, or like, oh, you know. Uh, we can see whoops daisy we're we injured. Versus someone says, ah, no, I do this. Uh, uh, the, the borderline takes it in, and they know, no, nah, I, I do this. I come late for work, and people have said this. You can see, they work with it differently than um, people that are esteem-sensitive. Because remember, borderline is separation-sensitive. Narcissists are sense- esteem-sensitive. So then, one might say something like, "Again, this is very speculative. You know, um, I could see this was very important to you uh, to understand why you have difficulties with um, um, keeping to your own boundary, and you made me aware now. Like I, I was late because you know my boss was going to get angry at me, so I, you know I felt in a dilemma here. Must I come for therapy um, or my boss?" And I'm, I'm sorry, my boss is more important to me. The moment. We go, oh, okay. Then we can follow up by saying, I can see this is very important to you. It must be very painful for you to feel stuck in a position where you want to do things for yourself. But now you feel you get stuck between me and your boss. And the way you protect yourself from this is to give up your own need. Um, because I don't know. Further, I don't know what you say, it will depend on the patient, but that will be pain self-defense, just to say, oh, I sense where the dilemma lies, the impact on you, and the way you protect yourself from it. Where the borderline, they seem not to be that esteem sensitive. We can say, um, we can even sometimes say, remember this can be even as basic as like, um, boundaries late again? And they uh, they go, I get it, I get it. Okay, what happened? What's up? Um, and they can work with it. The esteem, they don't work with that very well because they immediately feel deflated or that you're putting them down uh, or they sometimes even have a fantasy that you will understand. You kind of I remember one client said to me, I don't know why you're having an issue with this. Um, you're smart. You should figure it out. You should know if I'm late. Like, There's a good reason for it, which there was, but that's not the point. But he treated my mind and his mind as one mind which is a narcissistic dilemma. And I I didn't even think of it. So I started to feel a bit like an idiot. I thought, am I not being a good therapist? So yeah, I'm going into my own narcissistic defenses. Hmm. And then suddenly I got frustrated and angry. So now we're in the aggressive unit, um, which uh, Marsden said, if you don't know what to say, just keep quiet for a little bit and figure it out yourself before you do an intervention. Uh, it's best to keep quiet. Uh, but that will be an example of pain self-defense.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you can see, interesting enough, the, the the borderline dilemma can take a bit more and integrate it and use it. Where What happened to Masters, and if you read his development, is he got to clients when he thought, wow, oh, if I just asked to clarify, like, you know, you were late and I'm not sure what happened. They would act injured. Like, um, why are you trying to put me down today? You know, I'm already late. Now you're making me feel bad about it. So, uh, meaning confrontation made people feel worse. And he thought, oh, well, maybe this has got to do with something else in separation. That's how he got in the late 70s to his thinking of narcissism. And he thought, oh, now hold on. The inner world functions completely different than the borderline. They don't have two split units with the rewarding unit and the withdrawing unit, they have fused units. This, they are highly sensitive to the other. They see people as extensions, and they either in a uh, an omnipotent, grandiose unit, or they're in a deflated, aggressive unit. So either I'm perfect, I do well, and you there to mirror me, or it's just painful where. The the aggressive unit means that you're an idiot, you don't know what you're doing, you are useless. It's very critical and aggressive, and the self is deflated. So that's a completely different way of managing oneself internally, uh, which we again, as you asked previously, we saw in the practicing subphase. Children's moods going from elation to total collapse. They seem a bit, and again, I don't mean this diagnostically, they seem a bit bipolarish in their ups and downs. They even say at times, oh, am I bipolar? Because when things go well, they're on cloud nine. Um, and when things are difficult or they don't get certain amount of nourishment and libido from the other, um, they really struggle uh, to feel okay. They feel deflated, criticized, devalued.
0: Great. There, there's... Uh... Okay, there's two concepts I want to get to to kind of clarify some of this out. One is um, getting from the, from the mother um, nourishment, if you could talk, because that seems to be an idea that comes up a lot, is that kind of refueling that either happens or doesn't happen developmentally, and how that's used, one, two, is splitting, um, and because I think that that one thing that people are gonna see is the splitting defense, especially in the charts in the Masterson work. And they're gonna, and, and I think you're talking about it, but you're, not, but you're not using the word. So I think it might be helpful just to define where splitting fits in, and where does the um, kind of uh, refueling process fit into this as well. Beautiful.
2: And actually, it's interesting, I, I never saw that, that link like you gave it to, together like this, but I think it does relate like that. Um, for again, uh, going back to Masters and, and these Mollierian studies, is that they became aware that um, children, from infants to well, all of us, uh, I think it's caught up in the concept of co-regulation. We need the other to help us balance out our needs. Um, we're not an island but we have abilities to, in the absence of it, regulate ourselves in a nourishing way. So what, what happens with refueling, what's a beautiful um, way of thinking about things is, especially um, um, the re- uh, reproachment sub we see children playing with peers and busy, but always taking things back to mom. And then mom says, oh, look at this, this is great. And they, they share their interest and the mom can see, oh, this is where my child is at the moment and what's busy and what's important to them. So this is important to my child. So the mom and child get to know each other very well. Um, and if we take that interaction and we go back in development, that interaction is from birth. That there's a, a kind of a co-interaction between need stats, call the primary tensions, of a child breastfeeding and feeling comfortable and the mom interacting with her child and talking. It's not like a mom sitting there like a robot. She's talking to the child and um, already envisioning the child's capacities for good and for bad, meaning parents dream us before we become ourselves. Um, And that becomes the prototype of interaction. Um, And what Masterson tried to... and became aware of is that, in critical developmental periods and needs, it seems due to the mom's own anxieties, between her own practicing, her own separation, individuation, themes, that all of us have, these are are deep archetypal realities, becoming our own person, regulating closeness, how far or how close, that separation, individuation, themes and derivatives. In that is how do we negotiate libido and emotional fuel between us. Now, for example, children learn from young, let, let's say narcissists, they learn that they get certain kinds of feedback about their omnipotence by being a certain one. And they also learn directly, indirectly, what will get them, what, what will lead to situations of lack of it. Or get negative feedback, meaning if I'm like this and I do it in this way, I'm the perfect child, as an example. And mom loves me and she says that my child is wonderful, he's the smartest child. And all moms do it. But remember, we're talking about pervasive. And also, moms do it, but there's a difference between a mom that does it for the child and she's proud of the child versus the mom that's doing it because she has to do it because if it's not there, she's a bad mom. My child's not perfect, I'm a bad mom. So the feedback there looks completely different than one that's just enjoying the child's capacities. So the, the child there picks up like, ooh, if I do this, I get. If I do that, I don't. And I think that is when a child learns self, other and affect, what's acceptable and what is not. And the, the not is very painful and anxiety-provoking, and I have to keep it apart. And this goes back not from Mahler, just Mahler, but also when Rinsley and Masterson worked together. This comes from the work of of Fairburn, that was a contemporary of Melanie Klein. When he worked with traumatized kids, he, he found that they always protect their abusers, that they blame themselves for things going wrong, what we call the moral defense, and they seem to have Uh, a libidinal self object and an anti-libidinal self and other. That's our model between the split units, meaning the one side of the splits in our units is to keep contact going and keeping things good. And that's a defense against the other part. And they literally split it, meaning splitting is, first of all, a natural defense in the beginning for us to keep good and bad apart. Because we don't have the capacity to integrate it. The tree from good and bad. We don't have that integration. Like, like, oh, the mom that's frustrated with me also loves me. This was just a moment. and um, These kind of interactions are like, and you see it in the working through phase when people start with their own needs. They say, oh, man, if my mom knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, I would rather literally do X. She's going to disown me. So then we can start thinking, oh, what what was that like? Meaning the child got to, and this adult now, to a place where this is acceptable, this is not. And to keep in contact with your parent, now's the moral decision. Am I going to keep with the bad stuff, but then I don't have a connection and it's critique all the way? Or do I comply and have a connection? And I have to keep these two things apart. And then unfortunately, there's a a forcing bargain here that in the sense that the area of anxiety and tension and uh, lack of euphoria, that area is, as humans, we don't want to feel. It's horrid to look into a mom's eyes and you see utter disappointment, but you also see that it's bad for mom. So it's a a double issue here for, that's why you have survivor guilt with disorders of the self. They feel so guilty in the working through phase. Like I'm I'm starting to understand why my parent did that. and I feel guilty, I'm leaving them behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's part of the working through is not only separating, but understanding that they had their own separation individuation.
0: Yeah, I, I was just working with a couple uh yesterday, and the wife the wife had um In the past, a few years ago, the wife had left the husband um, repeatedly while she worked late, and the husband would have to stay home with her mother, and he would have to, and and he wasn't able to reach her over the phone Mm -hmm. when she was at work, and he would have to, he would would be working in this dank uh, area in the basement, and the mother would be upstairs, really sounds like a very disturbed woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was stuck between having to stay in his little hovel, um, or go upstairs. And so he couldn't eat, uh, because he would be stuck down there and he wouldn't be able to get in touch with his wife repeatedly. Um, and what, what we came to in, in the, in the time was that this was the wife's experience early experience Rot. was that this was, this was a, a, a sense of, the, of a reproduction of the wife's early experience, mm. that she was acting out for him to feel so that he could feel what that was like. And he was both, and as we talked about, it was the part that correlates here um, is that he was both um, incredibly angry at her mm. for leaving him in this situation. And it dawned on him, oh my God, this was her experience when she was very, very, very young. Mm. And she went through this in ways that I never, I, I will never know this deep. And he was talking about that, that, um, that conundrum in his mind, that terrible conundrum of I'm angry at you, but at the same time I love you and I feel for you. And, I, and, I'm, and, he, ha- and, he's, and he was very stuck there. And, and that, that became the conversation.
2: And what I appreciate about uh, the work, that the two of you did, um, even if it was difficult for the, the husband, uh, if I listen to uh, that in the images you gave uh, with the psychoanalytic ear, one can see um, the, and I mean the symbolically, being stuck in the basement. Freud always talked about the basement hmm. um, w- with a very ill parent. Um, And that's at times the negative, what we call the negative unit, that the experience of the mom that's angry, or depressed, or suicidal, um, is literally the, the ill mom that you also try to keep away. So if I can also, what you brought here, which is fascinating, if I can keep the mom good, and I'm good, I don't have to work with the mom of the basement, so to speak, the mom that if I separate, uh, I've had patients that would say to me when they tried to separate, they could see their mom was becoming suicidally depressed. So their activation would lead to the death of the object. That's a severe anxiety to sit with. Or one of my narcissistic, oh, no, no, one of my clients that was, got pulled into the narcissistic gravity uh, the whole time would say, he, he had an image coming up uh, before we fell asleep one night of his mom screaming he said like a banshee in his face um, and he said he never had a direct experience but he said when she would look at him if he brought home uh, a s- assignment and he got 82 she would say something like 82 oh that's good if you want to be as good as your dad and a surgeon you know you'll have to up your game hmm. and then he said then she would turn to him and look at him he said her eyes were screaming at him that it's not good enough. So, But you can imagine that's what we observe because we're quite intuitive, but you have to put it away. So he works harder, so mom's eyes are better. So that's, that's the compromise. Mm. is a form of compromise to keep connections going and carry the burdens, uh, even transgenerationally, um, of these developmental dilemmas we sit with in families.
0: And, and, and as, as, I mean, I could talk to you for hours I, as these things, but I think we'll start to wrap up a little bit here. Um, so one piece tra- transgenerational to, um, the word algorithms and how, and how these transgenerational, um, patterns fall into algorithms that then show up in psychotherapy in particular ways that allows us to organize them into personality structures
2: right right the the creative genius behind algorithms uh, is dr judy pierson a phenomenal woman she's the director at the malsison institute um, she has an amazing ability she's one of those unique people they move between left and right hemisphere with amazing speed so on the one hand algorithms is the structure that we listen to literally if we look at the pictures, the, the models that we have for the three disorders of the self, the, for Judy Pearson, those are also the languages that this person is trying to get us to understand, the language of separation individuation, the language of fusion, and the language of the schizoid ma- a master, slave, sadistic object, self, and exile. So these are literal languages and and the algorithm is our lens that we listen verbatimly, verbatim as a person talks through narrative, how he moves between the units. Because this is quite interesting. Um, although the units look complicated, if you learn to listen and the movement, you see people naturally move between those units because that's all they know. And they desperately try to get out of it to have a bit more. That's the working through phase that, you know, I still get anxious. A part of me wants to give this up. Every time I try to work, I get anxious I can't do it, but I know where this comes from because I'm doing something I like and I know my parents don't like this. So uh, we call you can call it an internal saboteur. However, uh, I think a lot of therapists naturally do this without knowing they're doing this. Um, But yes, algorithms is our, our structures, our mathematics, so to speak, of how we listen to the movements and how we try to... The reason people say, but why do we do it? Because it seems diagnostic. First of all, we do it so that we understand the language of the inner world of the client so that we can adapt and not do further injury, if we can. And it also helps us track ourselves. Um, Are we in the ballpark? Because the therapists have different abilities. Some people find it easy to work with borderlines, um, and again, I apologise for the language. I find it easier to work with borderline dilemmas. They don't get pulled into guilt feelings quickly. They can, they do. Other people find that chaos very difficult. I've seen clinicians that are wonderful with narcissistic dilemmas, They naturally, for others, that's just too complicated. And schizoids bring their own complexity of feeling frightened by wanting contact with you and therapy is about contact so they frustrate therapist contact needs so therapists become too directive too educational and then they in the same process that you the master and they the slave so they feel appropriated by us Um, so that so it happens anyway it happens anyway but what masterson gave me is like oh if I hear it, I, I, it helps me recalibrate, in a sense. Like, oh, hold on a moment. I'm in this domain. This is what's happening to their inner life. And people, they naturally, if you start getting it right, they naturally start bringing dreams, they start bringing memory. It's, to me, it was phenomenal uh, how quickly the neutrality and if the, the way of relating fits with their language, they get it. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, and this is why. I didn't have to interpret it. Um, and Masterson, different from other models, he, he didn't give fancy interpretations to his clients about some of the critique against analysts. They give these interpretation that even the reader can't figure it out, how, how's the client going to figure it out? <laughs> um, uh, if I have to protect some of my colleagues, I must say, I know a lot of them, it's usually by session 240. That they were giving, they've got a good feel for the client. Of course. Um, And and that's why I must say, although Masterson can sometimes look easy for some people, it's still a psychoanalytic psychotherapy. It takes time and patience uh, towards yourself. Masterson was very supportive to us and your client because even sometimes they say, well, some of these themes are difficult for us. Not Pleasant to feel devalued, it activates our own injuries um, it doesn't mean we're narcissistic and um, just means it's difficult in that moment, or at times uh, if people are in a borderline dilemma, they can really get stuck there and we get frustrated with them, or with uh, some schizore you have no idea what's going on um, but then they come back a year late and say, "Oh you know I've been keeping a journal of us meaning they they prefer their inner life to outer life, um, but they teach us so much, and that's what Marossen said: is if we do this work as far as correctly as we can, we learn so much about the human condition. Um, he was very respectful. Mm.
0: Uh, yeah. uh, you know, you just gave me a really uh, an important insight into the into the ch- charts, which is that that you can use them to listen for either side. So you're listening for, uh, and if you could just say this. So if I'm working, if I have the, if I think, Oh, this person, um, is, is in, is talking more, has bringing borderline dynamics to the hour here. I'd be listening for what on one side and what on the other side.
2: That helps. Yes.
0: And so what, can you just say that? So what would I be listening for with the borderline?
2: Okay. The, um, just the borderline, then we can go to others if we... Can. Okay. Uh, if, if one looks at the, the borderline dilemma and the, the split units, Masterson um, had what, what he called... Uh, and it's, it fits some of the DSM, but DSM is a behavioral model. This is an intrapsychic model. Is he, he would say, um, the person's experiences, if I can be interpersonal now, Taught him to be to live between two units of existence. On the if we look at the unit on the left side, which he called the rewarding or libidinal part unit, it's where there's a part-object relationship where there's a maternal or other part-object that's a, that gives you approval for regressive and clinging behavior. And I didn't even go into clinging or b- distancing borderlines; it becomes complicated. Um, and the self is, um, I have to be good but passive and then I'm unique and then we have good feelings. I'll be taken care of and I'm loved and there's a, a wishful reunion. Um, so that's the one part. Now that's just fancy language out of my example. Uh, the, the same lady said to me, but I did enjoy being in the kitchen with my mom when we cooked and we discussed things. We had this closeness. So there that, that was a good feel there. But, for that good feel, you, you are not allowed to go out and play. Or when you, when you go out and play, you bring this into conflict. So the other part, the, the part that's kept away, is the withdrawing or aggressive part unit. Where literally, the mother withdraws, her refueling, uh, is angry or critical towards separation individuation. The child then feels she's inadequate or bad, and the abandonment depression is the feelings around it. Now, again, this, this client of mine, that very creative, very gifted woman, she taught me so much. Uh, she would say, I remember wanting to go out, and when I got older, it got more difficult. I got so angry that at, at the times I wanted to do something irresponsible. I said, what do you mean irresponsible? She said, I remember driving. I just wanted to drive into a tree. I was so angry with my mom. So you can see that's an expression of starting to feel her anger towards her mom, but she's expressing it in suicidal despair. So there's a fantasy of literally destroying herself, but she felt destroyed. That need of her felt destroyed. And I said, when that happened, what happened before between you and your mom? Uh, She would say, my mom would at times, if I did go out, she wouldn't speak to me for two days. That's withdrawing. But she couldn't be angry at her mom because she said, I couldn't be angry at my mom because we were all we had. Mm. It's just each other. Mm. That's the dilemma. So you can see if the person um, goes and... So this is the background. Let's just say you know this about your client. And I'm making it easy. And your client comes in and starts talking about the husband. Now the husband can be a derivative person. And she says, you know, we had such a good time. It's wonderful. And I'm so glad, you know, that I left certain things at work that I had to do. It was important to me, but it's more important to go out and spend time with my husband. You know, his needs are important to me and I've been neglecting him a bit. Without a hermeneutics of suspicion, given what I know of her, and she says she, left important things that we talked about that was important to her to do this with her husband. I said, you know, before you made the decision to spend the time with your husband, what happened then? She looked at me sheepishly. This was a very gifted woman. It's never this easy. She said, I had a bit of a worry that I was spending too much time at work and I started to get anxious that maybe he goes to the place, listen to this, and he meets someone and he leaves me. There it is, the separation anxiety,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, the death of the relationship. So again, I said to her, so you're making us aware when you support yourself and you do certain things, it comes at the expense you're going to have a loss, like you had with your mom, like you thinking and you projected on your husband. And then she said spontaneously and I left the stuff at work and I got into trouble
0: mm-hmm.
2: again. hmm Again, I did it again. Mm -hmm. Um, But you see, they have to work at this over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Uh, Versus saying to the person, you can see they're very much aware. Then Masterson would say, they're aware of it, keep quiet. And then I wait for her. Is she going to work with this knowledge? Um, Is she going to get angry at me? How is she going to pick it up? Meaning, is she going to go back into withdrawing or rewarding? She was further. She said, I keep on doing this, I support myself. I give it up. I wonder why I'm doing it, then I'm quiet. She's doing the work. It could have been different. She could have said um, to me, "Well, um, you know, now I have a choice. Okay, I could work, but then I lose my husband. Do you think? It, do you think it's okay for me to lose my husband? Is that how you think? Because now you can see she's making me in that moment, or making me. That sounds a bit ridiculous. In that moment, I've become the critical, withdrawing mom. Hmm. I'd never implied that what she should or shouldn't do that's the dilemma, then we say, and depends on the client, the situation, how far in therapy, you know, I would say, you know, it's interesting that at the moment, we were talking about how you supported yourself, you left it, you had anxiety, and you became angry at me, I wonder, what's up for you? It's like, yeah, you're gonna tell me I have to do it, but then I can lose a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I suddenly became the witch in union language. I'm the baddie. Meaning, I'm the danger, I'm the danger to this pattern, this underlying pattern um, that, again, we will have to work with because now she's externalizing the withdrawing object relation unit. I'm becoming the mother or the one that's going to withdraw or put her in a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm becoming dangerous. Uh, that's why a lot of Um, we saw a lot of the angry behavior. It's because it's better to be angry than to feel anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, uh, again, if one reads Masters and all his books, uh, the 15 volumes, it's full of clinical examples, Mm -hmm. week-for-week verbatim examples, one could say something like, and I'm careful for these examples because they seem recipe-like. I don't mean it like that, but with her, which is another page. And I said to her, you know, I wonder what's happening every time you became aware of what's needed. You become angry at me and I didn't even show what you should or shouldn't do. She said, no, I'm frightened. I said to her, she could understand it. I'm wondering if you're not making me the part of you that knows how difficult it's going to be to have to say no to your partner and mm-hmm. uh, they might see that as a part of projective identification or all these fancy words. But for that particular client, that's the confrontation I made.
0: Mm-hmm. Which with somebody who's pretty far along in therapy that they could tolerate you saying, hey, look inside yourself to see if maybe this is something that you're projecting or that you're
2: giving to me. Excellent. If she's able to do it. If not, I've had clients that angry. I say, I see the dilemma. You're coming to me for help. There's a dilemma. And then suddenly I'm dangerous to you. I wonder if we can talk about it. Hmm. Uh, So I'll I'll stick close to the ego, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you're gonna tell me, leave your husband, and see, I'm thinking, oh, so you can see, I would say this to a person. They might not make the link. uh, And I don't make genetic links too quickly. I would say, so I've become the person that will keep you from things that are important to you. I'm the one that will take things away. And some clients pick it up and say, "Like my mom. So, oh, like your mom. Mm-hmm. How did that get there? But you can see if a client can pick it up, they're far along. If not, I just keep that as how is it to be with someone that makes you anxious? We stick to where the person is mm-hmm. and wait for them to bring us the information. So this is sometimes the difference between, for example, masters and other analysts that work with the borderline dilemma that give a lot of genetic interpretations or transference interpretations. We, a bit like Fonagy, they asked Fonagy, would you give a transference interpretation? He said, yes and no. We would go no and yes, meaning we don't start there. We wait for the client to activate themselves and work it. Of course, if it's obvious in time they can't do it, then you can do it. But we must continue we must be able to prove why they couldn't do it. Or to say, you know, it seemed to make sense when I said it, but as we were trying to do it, it didn't make sense to you. So I wonder what happened that made it difficult for you to think this thought. Mm-hmm. We keep on exploring from the inside out.
0: And in fact, we might, we, well, I, we would, we, it would be very rare that we would, I, I mean, I, it would be a very rare situation that you would confront the self Um, In that directly in that situation, you'd probably turn to the partner and say Do you know? Do you know if she gets anxious in this situation? Oh, okay, and you might ask the partner um, Mm -hmm. to to hold that projection um, because it might be easier for the person to see it if if it's held by the partner or you might go down the middle towards the couple Um, If there's if there's if it's really feels too dangerous to even sort of speak it out loud what's there You might you might just leave it with the couple and say boy It's hard for you guys to figure out a win-win situation for how you go out That allows your wife to both feel like she gets her work done and she gets to have a nice So and they or you would even say it even more neutrally that you guys Need take care of what needs to be taken care of outside and you make a space for taking care of each other oh. so that you're saying so that you're putting it more as this is for the secure functioning couple to negotiate as as a you know to the best of their that that, that we start with the assumption that secure functioning um, is is we we want to get we we hold in the idea that couples can function securely um, and that you leave the dilemma sort of at, in their lap as a couple
2: oh, together. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Um, if I put that back to in language, which I think is to um, say something like, say the couple has a separation individuation dilemma, is okay, these are the compromises to hold it where we are developmentally now. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's one of the contributions of uh, Dr. Taken, is that the the pseudo secure couple. Um, I've seen usually there's disorders of self functioning so they can look okay. Uh, but it's again, it's to keep units going uh, rather than getting into the negative units because it can be extremely anxiety-provoking for both, both people in the couple because it can activate. I think uh, the lady that writes about that, also from Masterson from a couple, is it Lockhart? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, she wrote the, the borderline narcissistic couple, uh, a book where she talks about co-op, Kernberg, and Masterson, and how we manage each other's self-esteem and how we manage each other's themes of separation, individuation. And I would also say how we manage each other's contact needs. Yes. Which I, and,
0: think and I really liked what you just said. I just want to capture it about um, keeping... You said something about keeping the units going. Mm. At the same time, so it's it's like uh, it's a very nice visual for the charts too, which is which is that it's not you're not you're not on one side or the other side right. of the split units. You're keeping them both going at the same time, so there's sort of an integration of both sides that's happening. Um,
2: you just beautifully interpreted what we mean with neutrality. We also, even working with a a, a disorder of self, we're not choosing one or the other. We try to confrontation is actually to bring both but they start speaking to each other. That's uh, why you said it, what we see as neutrality. That's beautiful. Yeah.
0: Well, th- uh, Lorraine, this has just been so great. I'm, I was actually, there were numerous times where I was quite moved by what you were saying. The There's a heart to it um, about people bringing their real selves, uh, the struggle to bring the real self and, and unearthing that, that really, I was really quite moved by it um, as you were talking. Um, so I really appreciate that
2: thank you, many of my clients, Masterson said it first, and then later, when I got better in understanding the way, and remember, Masterson also said, I remember I gave an interpretation once, and I was waiting for Masterson, and he said very gently, well, that seems like something I would say, what would you say? So you must make it your own model, and then he said, remember, with disorders of the self, they are fighting for their life, Um, for their psychological soul, so to speak. And clients say it when they start understanding their dilemma. They say, I have to do this. I'm I'm fighting for my life here. I feel I'm drowning. And this is where the abandonment affects um, that he compared it to the horseman of the apocalypse. He said, technical terms are too abstract to understand how it feels if we, as a child, I refer to it in other writing as I got this from Todd Bose, who's a design analyst. He says it's a, it's a Gethsemane experience. You are utterly abandoned and betrayed. It's a what experience? Gethsemane. When Jesus was in Gethsemane.
0: Okay. Um,
2: everybody fell asleep. He, he asked people to stay awake, and they fell asleep. If I use that symbolically, and he started to argue with God, please let this pass. I'm frightened. And no one answered him, and he knew he'll have to go through this alone.
0: Mm.
2: And that's a lot of the times how, they, how people feel, true abandonment. Our psyche is not equipped for it, um, because we as infants can't survive. If we're abandoned, we'll die. Mm. So a lot of the classical analysts talked about death anxiety. There's a true death anxiety in the unconscious. Uh, when you're talking about the basement uh, and the... the the mom that had a mental disorder, all these images came up for all these movies where you go into a basement and there's a boogeyman. Right. That's what it feels like for people when they go into these deeper recesses, they are frightened and anxious. Um, And I think the neuroanalysts are teaching us a lot about what the nervous system goes through. The nervous system says, no, no, I'm not going there. Um, uh, It stops thinking, it stops feeling, um, as protection. And for those interested in Masterson and in Nero, his last books integrated Alan Shaw and uh, neuropsychoanalysis psychoanalysis. Wow. Uh, where he compares attachment theory, his work and Neuropsychoanalysis to left and right hemisphere. Playfully, the, the borderlines we would like to get, because it's so intuitive, gifted people, but we would like to get them into the left hemisphere. And this is very, very flat-footed because we don't really work like that but as a way to kind of go slow down, think this through. Uh, With schizoids, we want to get from the left hemisphere to the right hemisphere, it's okay to feel and make contact without feeling that you're going to dissolve or people are going to appropriate you. Um, So he did integrate some of those models uh, later as well. His later works. He uh, he unfortunately passed away in 2010.
0: Mm. What do you make of the fact that that we barely talked
2: about the schizoid at all? Oh, they're in good company, so they can keep on hiding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, that also came to Masterson, was the last one to come to Masterson uh, through the work of Ralph Klein. Uh, they picked it up in the 80s already, but it was Ralph Klein, he was the medical director of the Masterson Institute at New York, that started to bring back Fairburn and Guntram and designed the split units for them. And uh, I think it's in 1994, Disorders uh, of the Self book. There's volume one. There's an 89 and I think 94, five was the second one, The blue, what we call the blue book. We have a white book, a blue book and a red book. Okay. We're on par with Jung, uh, the red book. Anyway, um, it was one of the most difficult ones to understand and he also further differentiated it uh, between the classical schizoid, which we find that's close to the DSM, and the DSM is a completely, completely misunderstanding of the schizoid. Meaning they don't want relationships, and they don't behaviorally doesn't look like it, but their inner life is full of people. And um, and then he differentiated from the, the clear cut schizoid to what we call the pseudo borderline and the pseudo narcissistic schizoids. So. And our diagnostic scheme with borderline, we have clinging and distancing borderlines. We have grandiose closet and devaluing narcissism. And then we have pure pseudo-narcissistic and pseudo-borderline schizoids. Mm -hmm. So, if one reads the books, it's quite textured. Um, Although, what gets difficult um, in the 2000 book, distancing closet narcissism is very difficult to work with. Um, So, the defensive can get very complicated. Um, and But again, if one tracks it and one can see someone two or three times a week over time, we come to a master's and say, if you're in the ballpark, you're fine. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not about being perfect. Just the ballpark. The client or analyst or patient, whichever language, sees this is a person that's really trying to get me. That's good enough. mm mm-hmm. So right. if he needs masters, and he was gifted. We don't, we we don't all have that precision of thought. He had that ability, uh, but if you, he always said to us, "That's the ballpark. Good enough, good enough." Uh-huh. And, and then he would actually say to 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 therapists, "No, you're getting it. They're working with it. Sit back, learn, pick up, relax." Mm-hmm. Uh, the modern therapist is way too performance driven. Yeah. Uh, um, he taught us to immerse ourselves whilst remaining separate and learning. So it's a, it's, uh, again, so it, it could be a developmental self and object model for us. Right. So then, like, huh, oh, this is difficult for me. And, oh, I see, uh, this is what I do with it. and um, But again, not too much, you know, you, you're there for the client. Um, so it's this balancing, it's a bit of a Goldilocks for us. Not mm. too warm, not too cold. Not too this, not too that. Just right. Mm. Um, it's a, a touch. That develops
0: over time well I, I hope we were in the ballpark enough today for people that they that this fleshes out for them some of uh, what they get from the pack training around uh, masterson's work and I can say boy I sure got a lot out of today and it felt textured and layered and um, and I really, really appreciate your time. I genuinely do. And, um, and just the way you talk about these things is so fluid and um, really wonderful to, to, uh, to spend time with you today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and spending time. Make um, and- sure I read on your models that I'm very interested in giving your metaphors. If I can be helpful in any way on that
0: front, just you can let me know. Is there anything today that uh, that I, that we left out, or that you wanted that you want to say before we have to stop?
2: If if people would like to immerse themselves, there's a lot of, um, it's now called uh, the International Masters and Institute. That's uh, it's online. We have uh, training facilities in New York, San Francisco, BC, uh, Turkey, Perth, Sydney, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are reading groups. Uh, there are six months programs to three year programs. The the typical program is a three year program where you meet uh, for four hours per week, 32 weeks, where the first year is borderline, second year narcissism, third year schizoid. Wow. And we go through most of the analytic thinking. There's a continual uh, group, meaning someone presents and we give feedback. And then also a supervisor. Uh, that one works with weekly, um, so there is training um, possibilities uh, or study group possibilities, and then um, through Amazon and Zach Tucker, most of Dr. Masterson's books are available. He's written a book uh, called uh, "A Therapist Guide to the Personality Disorders." It's a workbook. That's I just a ordered
0: that one. Book. That looks like a great book. I just ordered it.
2: Yeah, very accessible. Um, and then, if people have a good sense, um, it 's always good to go back to the previous works are quite it 's huge volumes, but you see he literally describes, and then for a hundred pages, goes week by week
0: hmm.
2: through with someone so you can have a feel. and then for those that are meticulous academics, his first three books were research books, so you can see the researcher. And how meticulous he was, and how his mind integrated a lot of work. So, the, um, the work on the borderline adolescent, and the one that uh, the test of time, and then the, the follow up is not only his research, but he's followed up 15 years later what happened uh, to these clients and what worked and what didn't work. So, um, this is an empirical model uh, with a lot of research behind it.
0: So it is hard to pick which book to start with. And, I, um, and I'm hearing today that actually that workbook that you just showed is probably a pretty good place if people want something accessible that they can just kind of get a sense of who he was and the way that the model works.
2: Yes, especially for uh, your level of candidates. I think that's a very good book uh, to have. Okay. Uh, and then you'll see the threads to all the other books.
0: Great. And, and if people want Mastersons, if they, if they want to do therapy, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of therapists out there who are providing uh, yes. Masterson therapy.
2: Yes, there are. Um, it's, um, it's not a mainstream institute um, in the way that other analytic, because it's specialized in this area, although it's still a, a, an analytic institute, meaning it really also is quite open to other models and tries to understand how other models think and how the masses has its own unique language of approaching uh, disorders of self, which I find very, very, very helpful. And, um, it helps me and uh, my clients very much.
0: Great. Well, the Das, Thank you so much for your time today again. And, uh, and we'll leave it here.
2: Thank you very much. And hope to speak soon. Okay. All, all the best. Thank you.